I got two people there. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful, but afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Let us pray. Uh, Father, I praise you for this church. Uh, Father, I just I praise you for your presence. Uh, Father, it's like we talked about earlier, over 100 baptisms. Father, thank you so much for moving in this church. And thank you for all the confirmation uh, that myself and leadership and, and the people that planted this church, Father, that we heard you right. And uh, Father, I have no doubt that it's just, it, we're just getting started. I have no doubt about that. You've got so much more uh, that you want us to do. And Father, I ask that you continue to give us that direction, give us the courage to stand up and do what it is that you ask. Uh, Father, we will be obedient to you. Uh, Father, sometimes it's that, it's that lack of courage that hurts. Uh, we ask that whatever it is that you do ask of us, Father, again, you give us the courage and the boldness to step up and follow through with that because, Father, this is your house. This is not ours. We want to make sure we honor you for that. Uh, Father, today you've given me a message. This series of uh, discipline has, um, has honestly it's been a little tough for me to preach, uh, Father, but that, that, that just tells me that it's what you wanted us to preach. Uh, Father, you have given me so much uh, to, to, to spill out to your people um, when it comes to discipline. And I, I just, Father, I ask that you make sure that everybody in this room and everybody that's watched online throughout this series, Father, they take it seriously. Um, they need to make sure that they are following through with the, with the discipline. Because, Father, again, you continue to tell us that's the one main thing that we lack as your children from having a, a prosperous life and from building your kingdom the way that it needs to be built. Father, today the message that you've given me to finish this series on is the hardest one. Um, it's been hard to put together, uh, but it is a topic that you have really um, given me a lot of wisdom and knowledge in over the last five years. And uh, I, I want to thank you for the opportunity to preach it. Uh, Father, in this moment, because it's hard, Father, I need your boldness today. And I need you to help me. I need you to... Father, in this moment, I need you to anoint me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Um, Father, take away my lack of confidence, um, my, my pride. Uh, I want to make sure everything that's said, Father, is, is from you today. Because um, this is a touchy subject. And Father, I do. I, I need your guidance today. I need, you to, I need you to guide my tongue. And Father, I ask that you give me the discipline for that. Father, all these things that have distracted me, I ask that you take them away and you throw them into the sea. And Father, you replace it today with most importantly, the number one thing, and I need it today, Father, is your love to pour out onto this congregation and everyone that's watching online. Ask these things in your name. Help us to love, laugh, and forgive. Amen. You got your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be there most of the morning while you're getting there. We'll go ahead and start. In the Bible, there's a very popular verse, guys, that promises us Christians a prosperous life. We all know it. And for by now, surely, Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Again, but for some reason, we see so many Christians, guys, with a life full of harm and very little prosperity. And seeing this, before this series started, I went to God and asked him why it was, and it's exactly what me and him just had a conversation about in prayer. It's lack of discipline, 
Lack of discipline is what's keeping us Christians from having a prosperous life and being able to build his kingdom how he sees fit. Today, we're going to, we're going to finish this series up on words discipline. And in the last six weeks of this series, we have discussed how we can improve our spiritual discipline, our physical discipline, our discipline of rest, where we talked about a Sabbath day, discipline of the tongue, and then last week, how to biblically discipline our children. I think we enjoyed that one the most. If you missed any of these guys, again, you can go to YouTube and watch these. But today, again, we're going to wrap this up on a topic that I take very, very serious. And the reason for that is, is I believe that it's something that the church needs to know more about that is not being preached enough. They don't have the understanding. They don't have the knowledge of it. Uh, because it can be a little tricky when you study it in the Bible. And that topic is biblical church discipline. Church discipline. I want to look at the definition. This is the biblical definition of church discipline. Church discipline is the process of correcting sinful behavior among members of a local church body for the purpose of protecting the church. In some cases, church discipline can lead to excommunication or removal of people from the church body. Sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? Christian warriors, I'm very proud to stand here today and can honestly say that this is the healthiest church I've ever been involved in. I can honestly say that. I can't lie to you, I'm standing at the pulpit. In fact, in January, again, we, we were going to celebrate four years at this church in January. And in four years, as your pastor and the leadership of this church, we have had to implement church discipline only three times in four years. Three times. What I need y'all to understand is, is, as your pastor, that's the three hardest decisions I've ever had to make. That was hard to have to implement that on someone. But I need everybody in this room to understand Discipline is not a punishment. It's an act of love. So many times people look at it as punishment. That's not what it is. There are two reasons, guys, why myself and leadership must implement church discipline if needed. The first reason we just read about in the definition of church discipline is to protect you and your family. God has called myself leadership to shepherd the flock that he's put in front of us. So you have our word uh, that we will never knowingly allow evil uh, to roam around in this church. But I want you to notice I said knowingly. It takes a church. I need your help. If you know of something that's going on, I need to know so we can correct it. Again, that it's discipline. It, it's, it's not a punishment. It's a way to correct somebody that's on the wrong path and get them back to the right path. The second reason myself and leadership must implement, must implement church discipline is to protect the integrity of God's house. That's the most important thing. We have to protect that integrity. There's a lot of churches that aren't doing that, guys. We're going to get to that. This church, guys, it's not our house. It's not Micah's house. This church is God's house. How do we start every sermon? Welcome to God's house. Amen? Amen? He has entrusted us 
and myself, excuse me, myself in leadership with this house, and I need you to know as your pastor, again, I take this very serious, we must run his house how he tells us to. I want you to think about in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We pray that constantly, right? And that's about how he wants it done. Father, how do you need it to be done? And church discipline is no different. We have to do things the way that he has lined up for us. Okay. <laughs> One other thing I want to say. A lot of churches, again, they don't, they don't like to teach on this topic. They don't. And, and I want you all to know that, to be honest with you, I don't like to teach on it either. Because it hurts. It hurts. However... Myself in leadership, when we started this church four years ago, we gave our word that we were going to teach you guys the Bible. And we're not going to pick just bits and pieces out. We're going to teach you the entire Bible. And we've never run from these tough topics, and I refuse to do it today. Amen? Okay. So I want you all to know that I know that this is a very sensitive subject. I know that it's a tough subject, and I will never, ever... Go at a sensitive subject with insensitivity. Grab your Bibles. Now we're going to go look at 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. I'm going to read it first, and then we'll pull it up on the screen, guys. This is Paul, and he's writing to the church in Corinth. Now, obviously, they were struggling in the church. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin. Or are greedy, or cheat people, or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer or a Christian, yet indulges or lives in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worship idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. That's, that's a stout claim there, guys. Don't even eat with them. Don't go to lunch with them. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. You know, you hear all the time, we're not supposed to judge people. You hear that all the time, right? Christian head nods? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's not biblical. This is biblical. God will judge those on the outside. See, that's who we're not supposed to judge. We don't judge those that are not Christians. They're on the outside. That's God's job. And God will obviously judge the people on the inside, but it's our job to judge them as well. And I'm going to tell you why, because we're a family your brother and your sisters amen scripture says you must remove the evil person from among you i want you guys to make sure that you get this straight it is our job to reach the lost i mean that's who jesus ran with right prostitutes murderers uh, dishonest tax collectors thieves that's who Jesus ran with. That's who he hang out with because he was trying to disciple them, right? We are to go among the world, preach the gospel to the impure, and hopefully help turn their hearts back to Christ. I mean, that's the Great Commission. 
you know, go and create disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus told us to do, was go and create disciples. So I need you to understand, in these scriptures we just read, Paul's not talking about our job as disciples. Okay? It is our job, just like Jesus, to hang out. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> not to hang out with. But to love on the, the sinners outside of the church and try and get them to church. Right? That's discipleship. Y'all understand this. That's discipleship. That's not who Paul is talking about when he says the ones inside the church. So there's another job that we have as Christians. We're supposed to disciple, number one. Number two, we're supposed to protect God's house. That's our second job. And that's who Paul is talking about here. He's talking about your brothers and sisters in the church. We are called to protect the church, and we are also called, guys, to hold each other accountable for our actions. Now let's pull up 1 Corinthians 5.11. What did I say? 5.11? I'm sorry. 5, 9 through 10. Forgive me, guys. We're going to read that first. I got ahead of myself. I apologize. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers. Okay, that's what I just explained to you guys. Okay, I just want to point that out. That's the biblical part of it right there. Now let's go to 511. Sorry, Nick. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such a person. Okay, so you notice... They claim to be a believer. What God's telling us here, guys, we are to protect the church from people that are fake Christians. Fake Christians. These people, they're people who proclaim to be a Christian but are purposely living in sin. Now, I want to add something real quick, go completely off topic. Well, it's not off topic, but off my notes. We've talked about this before. What is living in sin? Okay, we all sin, right? I mean, every one of us mess up. I mean, Sarah just got up here, tried to find a husband real quick, you know. <laughs> Use the pulpit to do it, you know. God forgives you for that. But, yeah, I feel you. Yeah, so, so you know, we all sin, right? But there's a difference in sinning and feeling conviction and repenting and sinning and living in that sin with no repentance and no conviction. Y'all understand me, right? Do we all understand that? Christian head nods, please. Thank you. Okay, so here's the thing. A fake Christian is one that sins and loves it. Has no repentance. Has no conviction. It's a part of their lifestyle. That's not a Christian. It's a fake Christian. That's who we got to look out for, guys. These people are dangerous to the church. They become a cancer, and they spread evil throughout the church flock. That evil, guys, it's, it's infectious, and it becomes a domino effect if we don't take care of it with church discipline. The best way to describe these people is a saying that we've all heard before, and that is they are a wolf in sheep's clothing. Once you think about it, this is the flock. We're all sheep. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. They're hiding We're called to protect the church from these wolves, guys. There's two types of wolves that we need to be aware of, and that is the inside wolf and the outside wolf. I'm going to explain that. The inside wolf's agenda is to hide their sin among the church 
and attack from within the church itself. These wolves secretly, secretly sneak around and persuade and manipulate others to join them in their sinful desires. This inside wolf's usual prey of choice are new Christians because that wolf knows that they're weaker in their faith and their knowledge in the Bible. They also go after Christians who are going through a tough season in life that are vulnerable and can easily be manipulated because they are being led by their emotions instead of their heart. The outside wolf has a different style of agenda. Their agenda is to put on a Christian mask at church and then take it off outside of the church. They're living a double life. That's what they're doing. They're a hypocrite. Here's a few examples, guys, of the agendas that these wolves try to pursue that you usually see in a church that will cause the leadership to implement church discipline. Okay? The first one is the agenda of adultery. The inside wolf looks for people in the church that are in a struggling marriage, somebody that's vulnerable, somebody that they know is not happy at home, so they go and they comfort them. And they try to get close to them. In fact, I don't mind saying this at all. It really makes me mad. This has happened a lot with pastors. Pastors that are counseling a woman, number one, by himself. That's stupid. Okay? Always have another female available there. But we see this, guys. We see this a lot in churches. You also have... Uh, single people that come to the church and they're not married but there's only one thing on their mind and that's what they're going after and they're doing it inside of the flock they're trying to manipulate the outside wolf gives off an image uh, inside of the church that he has the perfect marriage but outside of the church he is secretly pursuing other desires Let's go look now at the next agenda, which is the dishonest business owner. This happens a lot in church. The inside wolf takes advantage of other people in the church. This is what they do. They find somebody that's got some money. And maybe their business is struggling. And they know it's struggling. But they put on this face that their business is great. And they try to drag others in with them to get their money. They try to drag others in to invest into their business just so they can get the money to get their business back on track. All the while lying to them about how much money is actually coming in and so forth. And, and then it causes major destruction. Something else that happens in churches is you've got a business owner who is seeking out customers in the church. That's their whole goal. I'm going to join that church because it's a big church and I get a lot of customers that way. God didn't call you to that church if that's the reason why you're going there. I promise you that. Guys, okay, I'm a business owner. I'm not going to stand up here. Okay, it would be like me walking up here and instead of showing you a slide of Sarah's, I show you my Black Friday flyer on the page, uh, up on the screen. I mean, seriously, I'm being honest. Like, that, that's what these people do. 
they are trying their best to just get business out of the church instead of worrying about growing relationships in the church, instead of worrying about how to figure out how to build God's kingdom. All they're worried about is growing their business. They're selfish. They're prideful. And guys, that's evil. It's very evil. And a lot of times, too, one of the things that I've seen in some churches is it'll be somebody that takes advantage of an old person. Oh, yeah, y'all heard that. Y'all, I don't know about y'all. That makes me fighting mad. That makes me Jesus flipping tables mad. That's how mad that makes me. Be on the lookout for things of that nature. Now, here's the thing. Guys, again, I'm preaching on this today, but it's like I said ahead at the very beginning. This is the healthiest church that I've ever been a part of. Again, in four years, to have to only implement church discipline three times, I don't think y'all understand how awesome that is. Guys, I'm not as concerned about it with this church. I'm very aware of it because that's my job. That's my job. That's, that's the leadership's job is to be aware and to keep our eyes open because, again, who are we protecting? We're protecting you. We're protecting the church, and we're protecting God's church, the integrity of God's church. However, y'all need to know this stuff. You need to know the knowledge of this. Let's say you're sitting down having lunch with a buddy and he starts talking about some business owner that came up to him at church wanting to invest in something. That should be a light bulb. That should be something that you're immediately like, hey man, hang on, you might want to check on that. You need to know this information. You need to understand it. You also need to know it in case I have to implement church discipline on somebody. So then y'all aren't looking at me like, why'd you kick him out of the church? You know, I'm giving you this information today. The outside wolf, when it comes to the business owner, the, the dishonest business owner, this one really makes me mad. This wolf puts scripture all over his business card, his company vehicle, his website, and then he goes and cheats people. And he doesn't care about his associates, the people that work for him. There's a lot of that out there. A lot of that. I do highly recommend, because I'm one of them, a business owner that does have scripture in our store. I have it on the front door, and, and we have stuff on websites and business cards and so forth. Men, ladies, if you are in business for yourself and you're doing that, you better honor it. You better live up to it. Now, we're going to make mistakes, and when you do, you, you better correct it. You better correct it. Run an honest business. Don't you, I tell you right now, don't you put a CW sticker on your front door at your business and you cheating people. Don't do it. I'll get Jesus flipping table mad. I'm serious about this, y'all. I'm serious. The next agenda is to the agenda of gaining power. Gaining power. The inside wolf in this situation is someone who wants the church ran their way. And they will go politic around to get it done. I hate politics. <laughs> Guys, I've seen this at a church before where an associate pastor wanted the head pastor job. And literally was going around politicking to get people to not like the pastor. So they could get him fired. And he could get the position. How evil can you get? A pastor's position, I'm sorry, I'm going to tell you this, and it may not be like this in all churches, but this is, how, this is how I believe it should be. It's an anointed position by God. You don't fight your way to that position. God gives it to you. It can't get any more evil than that, guys, in the church. 
And that's the agenda, again, of somebody that just wants to gain some power. But the outside wolf, the way he attacks this agenda, he'll do whatever it takes, guys, to become powerful in the secular world, and he doesn't care who he hurts or who he stabs in the back. Doesn't care. He just wants to gain power. And what's really sad, Christian warriors, a lot of churches will let these wolves' actions slide or they'll sweep them under the rug. They do this for two main reasons. Number one, first reason that they allow these wolves to do this is because the wolf gives the church a lot of money. Yeah. When we started the church, I told the elders, I never want to know what anybody in this church gives, ever. Not my business, number one. That's between you and God. But number two, and, and I'll tell you this, it really didn't matter. This is just honest truth. It wouldn't matter to me. But this, I could see where this would persuade some pastors if they knew that the person that gave the most money in the church was messing up and doing things wrong and living in sin where he would start thinking business-minded and money-minded and he wouldn't come down as hard on that guy or that lady. Guys, I'll be honest, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if you give the most money or you give the least money. If you're living in sin, I'm going to implement church discipline. Don't care. Don't care. Money, we've never worried about that in this church. And guess what? We hadn't, had, we hadn't missed anything. He's taking care of everything because we don't worry about it. We put it towards him. This is the way I look at it. If it's the richest guy in the church, it's evil money anyway. I don't want it. The second reason that the churches let these wolves slide is because the church believes that this wolf's presence will help maintain or grow their numbers. I've seen this, where a pastor was living in sin, but because he was a great speaker and it was growing the church and everything, they allowed him to stay. Now, here's the problem with that. When, when it first started happening, the church was probably seating three, 400 people. And then when the news finally actually got out, and that's another thing, guys, no, hen, no, no sin goes on. It, it's always going to come out, okay? And it did. And when it did, they had over 1,000 people there. So it was even more destruction. It's like I talked about last week with discipline your kids. <laughs> like, discipline them early and often. Because if you don't, you let that anger build up, and the next thing you know, it, it, it's bad. You know what I'm saying? It's the same situation here. If they'd have disciplined him first, they wouldn't have had the issue later on with so many people in that church, so many hearts being broken, so many families being churchless. They let this guy slide because of that. I've also seen at a church where there was a man who was having an affair, he was, they call it the church board, so you would say our eldership. He was on the church board, and everybody knew about it. I mean, heck, I don't even live in that town, and I knew about it. They did nothing. And the reason why is he was the richest man in the church. He was one of the most popular people in town. And their thought process was that's money we're going to lose, and that's people we're going to lose. Sometimes churches are just cowards. I'm sorry, I'm not going to go ahead and say it. They're just cowards. They don't want to take the heat. When God called myself and the elders and the leadership to this position, we, we knew that came with it. We knew that came with it. 
Can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Before I move off this topic, guys, I want to uh, point out the biggest issue that we see when it comes to wolves in the church. And it's something everybody in this room has been guilty of at some point in time. And that's gossip. Gossip can destroy a church, Christian warriors. And it's a trap that you can easily fall into. Listen, I'm guilty of it too. We all like some news, right? That juicy stuff, you know. We all like to talk about it. But guys, I need you to remember this. When you start to fall into the gossip trap, you start to become a wolf. You start to become a wolf. So the next time somebody comes to you with some of that juicy news, man, you're getting all fired up, you want to talk about it, you're turning into a wolf. It needs to be your thought process. Gossip can absolutely destroy a great thing. And it starts with one, just one lie. You know what I'm saying? Just one lie or one post. Stay off social media. Now, again, we're all guilty of this, guys, from time to time. And that's gossip. But if you continue to hurt others with gossip and you have no conviction, myself and leadership will be forced to invoke church discipline. Guys, what do you, why? I mean, why even God? Don't you want to come to a church where you ain't got to worry about somebody's talking about you? I mean, like, seriously, like, I mean, you know, y'all might talk about me. I don't even think about it, you know. I hope you don't, you know. But gossip, guys, that's, that's the thing. You go sit somewhere. I want y'all to think about that. Like, you know somebody was talking bad about you, and, and you get in the same room with them, okay? You, you know you're like, oh, they're talking about me right now. Guys, the church is a safe place. This is a peaceful place. And all gossip does is it, it causes somebody else to have anxiety, and the last place they need to have anxiety is in this church, unless they're convicted. That's not anxiety, that's conviction. feels the same sometimes, though. All right, Micah, now that we've discussed these people, these wolves that bring evil into the church, what do we do with them? How do we handle them? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13 that we just read. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but as Scripture says, you must remove the evil person from among you. They got to go. They got to be removed from the church. But there's a process to this, guys. We're not just going to send them packing and kick them to the curb. And I'm going to tell you why. Because Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus wouldn't give up on us that easily. Why should we give up on somebody else that easily? Again, discipline, guys, it's, it's not a punishment. It's, it's an act of love. Jesus would love them. And he might love them with discipline, but he'd love them. It's our job to do the same. So when we see somebody do something wrong, I need you all to understand that. Don't get scared and say, well, I can't go to Micah because they're going to kick them out of the church. There's a process. I promise there's a process. We're going to go over that. In fact, Jesus himself lays out this process, guys, on how to handle church discipline. He does this for us in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 15 through 17. If another believer sins against you, Go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, 
you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Verse 17. If the person still refuses, or still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's discipline, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. In other words, have nothing to do with them. A lot of people think that this is very harsh. I couldn't disagree more. This is a loving process. I want you to think about it, guys. Jesus is sitting here saying to give them three chances to have a heart change. I want you to think about how many times in your life somebody's done you wrong. Did you give them three chances? No, a lot of times I didn't. Jesus is putting forth a loving process of discipline. What he's saying is, is not only am I going to go warn you once, I'm going to warn you twice. I want you to get corrected. Our job as a church is to do the exact same thing. That's what this is trying to tell others. One way that I can prove this is a loving process, by the way, by Jesus, and this is not just an act of, you know, harsh discipline or anything like that. In Matthew chapter 18, guys, right before this, he was teaching arguably the most loving parable that he ever taught. Does anybody know what that parable was right before this? Lost sheep. So, so <laughs> guys, how much more loving can you get? He just taught about the lost sheep, and then he talks about this. Why would he go from that to harsh discipline? You see, what Jesus is trying to show us right here is like he said about the lost sheep. What, what does Jesus do? He goes after the lost sheep. We're supposed to go after them. We're supposed to try and get them back. I know it's hard because they did you wrong. You don't want to go back after them. They did you wrong. Forget them. I'm not going to worry about them anymore. I'm going to ignore them from here on out. Not what Jesus would do. Sure, and what we're called to do as a church. We got to go after them. Because here's the thing, guys. Even though they may have been a Christian at some point, now they're lost. They're lost. These verses, guys... I'm going to break this down with church discipline. Nick, if you could go back to 15 and 16. Okay. If somebody does you wrong, and I really need you all to grasp this, don't, don't come to me. Don't come to anybody. Privately, you go talk to them. You. I've literally done this. Some of y'all in this room may know this because I've told this to a few people. They've come to me and said, such and such did me wrong. Well, did you go talk to them? Because I'm not going to go talk to them for you. Hang on, let me hit rewind. Unless it's a form of abuse, I'm going to step in immediately. But if this is just somebody that, you know, posted something on Facebook bad about you or gossiped about you, I'm not going to them. You need to go correct that or try to correct that. Okay, so this is, these verses are explaining you as a church, as a church, what y'all are supposed to do, the congregation, when somebody does you wrong. So if you go to that person, you sit down with them privately, 
and then that doesn't work, then you bring a couple witnesses with you. So, you know, you bring a couple of your brothers and sisters with you, and you all sit down and talk to this individual. If that doesn't work, go to 17. Then you come to the church. Take your case to the church. Now, here's what I want you to understand. That doesn't mean, because this would be really weird and really awkward, that doesn't mean that you and the two witnesses are going to drag that person up here on this stage and you're going to tell everybody what they did. What he's talking about here is you go to the church leadership. So you and the witnesses will go to myself or the elders. And you'll say, this is what this individual did. The first thing I'm going to ask you is, did you go to him one-on-one? You say, yes, okay, now I see that you went with your witnesses. Now it's time for the church to step in. Now it's time. So then we'll step in. And we have a process that we have to look at as well. And that is Titus chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, which is almost identical to what Jesus just said. If you pull that up for me. If people are causing division among you in the church, okay, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. And here's why. For people like that have turned away from the truth. Who's the truth? They've turned away from Jesus, and their own sins condemn them. So myself and leadership, once you bring them to us, we have a three-step process. And this is how it goes. The first one's a sit down. We sit down with them. We tell them to fix the problem. We've heard about it. We know what's going on. Fix it now. Repent. Let's get some counseling going. Whatever it needs to be, get it fixed. Get it fixed now. We give them actually the first time, even before counsel, we give them the first time to go fix it. You go fix it. We're going to give you the opportunity to fix the situation. After that, if there is something that needs to be implemented when it comes to you know, counseling and such, we'll do that then. Guys, I need you to understand something. If, if this happens, if we find out somebody in the church is living in sin, and I really need you to grasp this, if they're in any position in this church, we're going to pull them. If they're on the worship team, they're not going to be on this stage. If they're a greeter at the front door, we're not going to let them do it. If they're in security, we're not going to let them do it. And here's why. Number one, this stage, this holy ground. I pray over it every Sunday. And I claim protection over this stage. I take that dang serious. And if I find out somebody's living in sin and they're up here on this stage, they're gone. But I need you to know I'm going to do it out of love because I'll explain it to them. This is God's house. You're representing God's house. I don't care if you're security, a greeter at the front door, working hospitality, or with the kiddos. I don't care what you're doing. You're representing God's house. And I refuse to allow somebody to represent the house of God that's living in sin. I refuse. So here's what they need to do during that process. The reason we pull them, if they're in any type of position, is because that gives them time to not be distracted with other things that they were doing, serving in the church, and concentrate on getting their self right and rebuilding their relationship with God. And the other thing that it does is it keeps them away from the flock so they won't be persuaded to join that person in their sin. Protect. That's what we got to do. 
the second warning that we'll give them, so the first one's a sit down, we'll tell them to get it going, figure out what you got to do. The next time we lay down the law, you didn't fix it, now it's time for us to put a plan in place for you. The elders, myself, will sit down, we'll work out a plan, we'll present it to them, and we'll say, you can either go by this plan, or you can leave. I know, it, I, sometimes y'all might think, man, that's harsh. No, I mean, every plan that we put together, I promise, is biblical. And we're not trying to hurt these people, we're trying to help these people. We're trying to get them back on track, guys. The third step, separation. If they've gone through the process with you, and then they've gone through the process with us, and it ain't working, they got to go. And it's hard. It's a last resort, because you don't ever want to look at somebody and tell them they can't come to church. That hurts. But guys, verse 11, if they've turned away from the truth, I'm a fixer. I like to help people. And there have been times in my life that I kept trying and kept trying and kept trying. And then this verse hit me in the teeth. I can't fix them. If they've turned away from Jesus Christ, you can only do one thing for them. Start praying for them. And that's the fourth step, really, that comes with this process. Because we don't forget about them. We continue to pray for them. Continue to pray for them. Because your hope is, is that one day they'll walk in another church. Because that's what happens, by the way. They church hop. They get kicked out of this one, so then they go to another one. And then people, they do the same thing there. And they get kicked out of that one, and they go to another one. And my prayer is always... God, please let them find that church that will grab a hold of them and teach them and change their heart. We never want to forget about the fallen. Never want to forget about that. Again, guys, this is an absolute last resort. We as a church would never want to do this. It's the last thing I'd want to do. But again... We have to protect this flock and the integrity of God's church. Now, what I want to talk about right now, I need you all to understand, is absolutely not completely 100% biblical. This is a Micahism, okay? But I'm going off of how I read the Bible and how the Holy Spirit helps me to see it, okay? I believe that every person in the church should have to go through this process that we just talked about right here. Every single position, every leadership position, every individual that's in the congregation, except two. Your elder and your pastor. And I'm going to tell you why. 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives you the characteristics of a pastor and an elder. And it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's hospitable, it's approachable, it's loving, it's patient, it's disciplined. It's all those things. Some, man, I struggle with some of them. I ain't gonna lie to y'all. Those are the characteristics. And, and, and I, I don't think any church discipline should be enforced 
on an elder or a pastor when they do slip in those areas from time to time, unless it's consistent, because we're all human, amen? But there's one thing after that that I take so serious that they will not bring shame upon the church. And I feel if a pastor or an elder does that, they can no longer be a pastor or an elder. I'm sorry, that's just how I feel. And you can say that's harsh, but here's why I can tell you that. Because I know how serious I took that oath. I, know, I knew what I was getting into. And if any pastor looks at me and tells me they didn't, they never should have been a pastor in the first place. I take 1 Timothy chapter, guys, I read it at least five times a week to remind myself that this is how I'm supposed to be. We are leading this congregation, myself and the elders. That's what we're doing. We have to set the example. And if we're not setting a good example and we destroy the church because of something that we brought shame upon it, I'm stepping down. You won't even have to ask me. I'm just being honest. I'm not saying that those people can't do something else in ministry because they can. Okay? There's a lot of people that have messed up, but they come back and they come back strong. But as for a pastor and an elder, I stand firm on that. You took the oath. You knew what you were doing. You knew how serious it needed to be. You better take it serious. But everybody else, I believe, should receive this process. I'm tougher on myself, I promise you, than I am any of y'all. Because I know good and well that if I'm not living life the right way, as your pastor, why would you? And that becomes a major problem in a lot of churches, guys. A major problem. I'm going to close with this. I bet some of y'all right now are thinking, man, Michael, you keep preaching like this. We ain't going to need to expand. Ain't nobody going to be here. <laughs> Honestly, I'm going to disagree with you. I believe that the outside world is begging churches to preach this message. I guarantee you they're tired of us judging them when we need to be judging in here. More churches need to preach this message and make sure that their church is pure and there's no evil running around. Guys, I'm telling you, the people that have been hurt by church before, it was something like this. Tell me I'm wrong. It was something like this that destroyed them, that's made them churchless for years. And they don't trust church. But here's the great thing, guys. If we implement the church discipline and we preach this message and other people see it and they see how serious we take it, we can be the light. We can be that church that people flock to because they know we take it serious. We hold people accountable. You know, that's the honest truth. There are a lot of people on the outside world that hold each other more accountable than a lot of churches do. Churches have become country clubs in a lot of places. I don't know about y'all, but I used to be at a country club before my pastor days, and I sure didn't act like I should have. <laughs> you get it. All kidding aside, guys, 
I just want y'all to understand church discipline because when I have to implement that myself and the elders, I want y'all to understand it. We went through a process to get there. We didn't just kick them to the curb. We tried to help them. We tried to love on them. And when it gets to that point, we're doing what the Bible tells us to do. Not our decision. What God tells us to do. Because this is his house. Amen?